are the great almighty God. And the world, you are the great almighty God. And the world question you. So now we come to the time when your word is open and we want to sit under it. We want to welcome it. We want to receive it. Um, We ask your spirit to skillfully apply it to each of our lives. Show us, Lord, your glory that we might. You are the great almighty God. And the world, you are the great almighty God. And the world, outdoorsy. I like things, uh, I like to hike, I like to bike. Uh, What you may not know is that I have taken up kayaking and uh, have acquired sufficient skill. I'm talking flat water, not white water. Have acquired sufficient skill that the other day I took out an entire flotilla that is my family. That's that's just my family. Uh, We all went kayaking and um, what you may not know, even those of you who know that I've been out kayaking is that I have received, achieved a certain level in kayaking, have received a certain honor um, that very few, a matter of fact, I don't know anyone who's received this award except me, I am the world's okayest <laughs> kayaker. And um, because of that, um, I could actually, I could take you out in a kayak, uh, for instance, out at Beaver Dam Lake here in Raleigh. Um, I could take you there and I could show you, this is not Beaver Dam, this is another lake out west, um, I can show you amazing places. Um, I can take you places where I have seen deer swimming across a lake like that. I didn't even know deer swam. I've seen osprey fishing. I've watched bald eagles nest. I've had beavers flap their tail right next to my kayak out in the water. Um, I am the world's okayest kayaker, and I can do that for you. Okay. Now, the truth be told, you can do better. Okay, you can do better than the world's okayest kayaker. Um, you could, you could, for instance, find the world's greatest kayaker and go to the world's most exotic lakes and see the rarest of flora and fauna in in the creation. But I want you to know this morning that you can do better than that. In fact, God is inviting you this morning to something better than that Um, because the beauty of creation is not intended to be an end in and of itself. The flora and fauna of Little Beaver Dam Lake here in Raleigh, the flora and fauna of all creation, everything in all creation are intended to be a guide for you and for me showing us, pointing us to something, someone far greater, far more wondrous than the greatest of wonders. Creation is pointing us to the maker. The psalmist captured this in Psalm 19. He says, um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. All of creation invites us to know and love and worship our maker. N.T. Wright asks the question, what is the most beautiful thing you have experienced this week? 
He says, maybe it's something you heard, maybe some beautiful music, perhaps in church or in the cathedral, maybe something in the world of nature, the sun breaking through the mist and making the autumn leaves luminous, the curl of a squirrel's tail as he sat nibbling a nut. It might be something you smelled, the scent of a rose perhaps, or the smell of a good meal cooking when you were very hungry. It might be something you taste, maybe something you experienced in work, things suddenly coming together um, in an unexpected new opportunity. Might be something you experience in human relationships, a quiet, gentle glance from someone you love dearly, the soft squeeze of a child's hand. He says, I want to suggest to you that our ordinary experiences of beauty are given to us to provide a clue, a starting point, a signpost from which we move on to recognize, to glimpse, to be overwhelmed by, to adore, and so to worship not just the majesty, but the beauty of God Himself. You and I, every day, are being invited by creation to worship our Maker. Now, when I say that you are invited to love and worship the Maker, I mean the Maker, singular. There is only one Creator. Our great God, Father, Son, and Spirit has made it all, has made everything. You look in Colossians chapter 1, it talks about the unique role of the Son in creation, the Son of God. It says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him All things hold together. All things, Paul says, time and time again. All things were created through him and for him. Things visible. Things invisible. Harper's Index estimates that the amount of matter in the universe that's invisible, 98%. He has made it all. Biologists have cataloged somewhere between one and a half and 1.8 million species of plants and animals um, and insects. The estimates are that there may be as many as between 3.6 million up to 100 million species that exist. Um, He has made them all, invisible and visible. He's the maker of subatomic particles and more than 1,000 mountain ranges throughout the earth. He's the maker of those 1.7 million species of plants and animals and insects. Um, He is, and He alone, is the maker and sustainer of it all. That last verse says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He holds it all together. Mark Batterson says that you might feel as if you are sitting still right now, but it is an illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth, as you sit in your seat, is spinning around its axis at a speed of a thousand miles per hour. You wake up in the morning and you feel tired, you wonder why. You've been going a thousand miles an hour all night long. 
Every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360. We're hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even on a day when you feel like you didn't get much done, he writes, don't forget that you did travel 1,599,793 miles through space that day. To top things off, the Milky Way is spinning like a galactic pinwheel at the dizzying rate of 483,000 miles an hour, and he holds it all together. Christ, every moment of every day since the creation of the world, holds it all together. He is the maker. John said it so simply, we read this at Christmas often, of Jesus the Word. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And he didn't just make things, bring things into being initially. He didn't just give life initially. He gave it subsequently. God's creative work, Scripture teaches us, is behind all new life. 1 Timothy 6 Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, Um, all things. He made it all. He is the creator, and he made it all from nothing. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, he says, in the presence of the God who gives life to the dead... And calls into existence the things that do not exist. He calls into existence things that do not exist. And it seems to me best to see God making the world out of nothing. There's a story that's told about two scientists who, after learning how to clone humans, decided to challenge God. So they said to God, we don't need you anymore. We can make life by ourselves now. Okay, God replied, let's have a man-making contest. They said, all right. Scientists said, we'll do it like you did in the beginning. And they reached down to grab a handful of dirt to begin their process, to begin to form a man. And then they heard God's voice from heaven say, hold on a minute. Get your own dirt. (laughs) He made everything that is out of nothing, out of nothing. And scientists who have faith see it. There's a guy, um, his name is um, Arno Penzias, and he won a Nobel Prize for his discovery of cosmic microwave background noise that's associated, what's known now as the Big Bang Theory got a Nobel Prize for his discovery uh, related to that. And he says, the creation of the universe is supported by all the observable data astronomy has produced so far. He says, the most logical explanation of the universal background noise associated with the Big Bang is a moment of discrete creation from nothing. He says, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, or the Bible as a whole. He made it all. He made it from nothing. 
and all that he has made points to him and points us to him in worship that we might know him and love him and worship him. With the psalmist, we might say, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. See, this makes God, our God, radically unique. He is the creator God, and there is no other. Only he is the maker, and throughout Scripture, that continually sets God apart from other so-called gods. Um, Psalm 96, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? For the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Isaiah sounds the same theme. God is speaking, saying, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He's pointing to the stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. On a starry night, they're all named by God. And not one is missing. Writers have tried to help us think about the the glory of that statement. Um, If our Milky Way galaxy were the size of the entire continent of North America, our solar system, I'm taking you back to middle school science here, our solar system would fit in a coffee cup. Now, estimates are that there are hundreds of billions more galaxies in our universe, none of which you can see without a telescope. Moreover, each one of these galaxies has billions of stars, which brings the grand total number of stars in the universe to an estimated 10 billion trillion, which is 10 followed by 21 zeros. That's more stars in the universe than the number of grains of sand on the earth. And Isaiah says, he who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Not not one is missing. Nehemiah said it well. He said, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So creation, when you step outside this building and you see the creation, it is inviting you to worship God. It is calling you to worship and love the one true God who is the maker of everything. He's made it all from nothing. Now, if we make it a little more personal, the Bible has a special emphasis on God as the maker of man, of people, made in his image, some of the scriptures will say. And in Isaiah 42, Isaiah says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens, stretched them out, who spread out the earth, And what comes from it? Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit 
to those who walk in it. God is not just the maker, he's our maker. And David pushes us even farther and says, he's my maker. In a very personal psalm, David writes in Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Think about this. Think about what he's saying. God knitted me together in my mother's womb. God is actively forming me in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, every, every, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Paul Tripp reflects on this psalm, and he says, Every part of the fabric of your personhood was carefully knit together by God's creative hands. There was no part of you that was hidden from him. There were no accidents, no glitches, no thoughtless moments. Just like David, you too were fearfully and wonderfully made. The color of your eyes, the shape of your body, the color of your skin, the size of your feet, everything, all your hardwiring is the result of God's glorious creative ability. And that is some amazing hardwiring. I want to take you back, back to probably your freshman year biology class and just reflect on this with me. There's a, a genetic engineer named John Medina who wrote this. He said, the average human heart pumps over 1,000 gallons a day, over 55 million gallons in a lifetime. This is enough to fill 13 super tankers. It never sleeps, beating two and a half billion times in a lifetime. Your lungs contain 1,000 miles of capillaries. The process of exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide is so complicated, he says, it's more difficult to exchange oxygen for carbon, carbon monoxide than for a man shot out of a cannon to carve the Lord's Prayer on the head of a pin as he passes by. That would be complicated. He says, your DNA contains about 2,000 genes per chromosome. 1.8 meters of DNA are folded into each cell nucleus. A cell nucleus is six microns long. This is like putting 30 miles of fishing line into a cherry pit. And it isn't simply stuffed in, it is folded in. If folded one way, the cell becomes a skin cell. If folded another way, a liver cell, and so forth. To write out the information in one cell would take 300 volumes, each volume 500 pages thick. One cell. The human body contains enough DNA that if it were stretched out, it would circle the sun 260 times. The sun 260 times. The body uses energy efficiently, he writes. If an average adult rides a bike for one hour at 10 mile an hour, it uses the amount of energy contained in three ounces of carbohydrate. If a car were this efficient with gasoline, it would get 900 miles to the gallon. Okay. Fearfully and wonderfully made are you and me. Okay. When we say God is our maker, our maker, 
we're implying several things that the scriptures make plain. First of all, we're recognizing that he is our Lord and he, he has ownership over us. Psalm 100 famously puts it this way. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, therefore. And his courts with praise, give thanks to him. Bless his name. By right of creation, the psalmist is saying, we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. In a similar way, though to a much lesser extent, parents have a certain right, a certain authority over their children simply because they are ours. They, they belong to us. They are under our authority when they're young, and they answer to us by right of creation. When we say that he is our maker, we are saying he is sovereign over us. And we are also recognizing that he cares for us. In a famous sermon in Acts chapter 17, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself, and listen to this closely, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He gives us everything so that we are right to give him thanks for everything because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights who is above. He gives us everything. One writer said, we may acknowledge our divine provider over the roast and mashed potatoes, but how often are we deliberately thankful for the water from our taps, the wood for our houses and our furniture, the paper for our books and napkins and notepads, the brick and metal and fabric and countless other materials we use and enjoy? God, through nature, made them all possible. He says, we would do well to remember. Creation is inviting us, pointing us towards worshiping our maker loving our maker, the one who made us and cares for our every need, who gives us life and breath and everything. Why did God, the maker, make the world? Why did he make us? Right at the center of the answer to that question are two really great purposes. The first is he made it for his glory, that the world might glorify him. And as we saw in Psalm 19, that's what creation does. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words, where voice, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. All for God's glory. God created the world, the sun, the stars, the moon, the animals, the plants, us, for his glory, and the creation shouts to us to worship the maker. And so we do, we do in our songs, we do. 
Like this, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. It's a response to creation displaying the glory of God to us. And so we worship not creation itself, but the creator. We do this. We worship. We bow down. We kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Creation, on the one hand, declares God's glory. And inseparable from that is creation creation brings us joy. God made the world that we might see his glory and be drawn to him, to know him and to love and worship him and be happy in that love. Now, one of our country's greatest theologians, um, he's not one of the easiest theologians to read, but he's one of our great ones. His name is Jonathan Edwards. And he says this. I love this statement from him. He says, God created man for this very end that he might communicate happiness to him. And man was designed, he goes on and says, by God for exceeding inexpressible, great happiness. Okay. Sam Storms, who's a big fan of Jonathan Edwards, writes this about that happiness. He says, this happiness or joy which God has inclined, was inclined to communicate to you and me, which constitutes the primary reason why he made the universe, is the happiness and joy we experience when we relish, delight, and rejoice in the manifestation of of God's beauty. And one of the clearest manifestations of God's beauty is the creation. Okay. Now, can you think of a time when you were stopped in your tracks by something in creation that made you stop and ponder and reflect, as Storms put it, relish, delight, and rejoice in God? Can you think of a time? Some of you, maybe it's the birth of your firstborn or one of your children. Some of you, it may be when you were, you know, standing at the altar and she walked in on that day. You remember that moment and you worshiped God that day. You know, some of you, it's just, it's just the creation itself. I remember a number of years ago, about six years ago, my family had the privilege to go to Africa and we did what all North Wakers do when we go to Africa. We did runner's camp. And then when we were done with runner's camp, we went on a safari. And uh, we're sitting in an open-door vehicle. There's no doors. There's no windows on this thing. And right where that piano is, there was a lion, a lion. And after I was assured by the guard that we were safe as long as we stayed in the vehicle, if we got out, he said, not so much. So we stayed. But I just thought, God can make a world, can't he? He can make a world. But most of us are in such a hurry that we miss it. Creation is shouting to you every day, and you miss it. You're too busy. It is hard 
to ponder the glories of God shown to us in creation at 55 mile an hour. It's just hard. And so, this week, let me challenge you to do something. I want you to get off the treadmill at some point this week and step out into the creation and just ponder and worship the maker. Just stop whatever you're doing. I know some of you are thinking, but I'm indoorsy, okay? Look, look out the window, okay, at creation. Put in a Planet Earth DVD and pretend like you're outside. But slow down. Relish, delight, rejoice, worship the maker because creation is built to show men and women and boys and girls God's glory. It's interesting, in Romans 1, Paul is actually, it's a, it's a stern word of judgment against people who reject God's glory. He says this, he says, what can be known about God is plain, plain to them, because God has shown it to them. How has he shown it to them? says, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In the things that God has made, that the maker has made to show us his glory. You don't have to go to Africa to see it. You can go for a walk in your neighborhood. You can go down to Joyner Park. You can step out on the deck and gaze at the stars at night. You can, you can kayak on Beaver Dam Lake. You can slow down and look in wonder at the eyes of a child. All creation is calling us, inviting us to love him and to worship him who is the creator and sustainer of everything, who is our maker. He's my maker. So the other thing I'd like you to do, other than stepping off the treadmill this week at some point and just worshiping God through what you see of Him in creation, um, we want to close our service a little differently. We're going we're gonna to watch a video, a media presentation, but I don't want you to just watch it. I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand with me, and I'm going to ask you to watch it and worship while you watch it. Now... At a minimum, that means you are, you are praising God for what you see of his creation. It's really a remarkable video. You're just, you're in, your, in your mind, in your heart, you're praising God for what you see. Now, for some of you, that means you're going to lift your hands. You may shout out God's glory. Others of you, it just means you're going to put your hands in your pockets, you're going to smile, okay? <laughs> but, but let's worship. Don't just watch. Let's worship our maker, okay? Would you stand with me?